love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women Podcast. I'm Haley Chura. I'm joined by my co-host, Alyssa Gadeski. Alyssa, last week we like gave a little, uh, I guess, I don't, it's not a sneak preview, but we like shared a little bit that you had just gotten a new dog named Max, a rescue. I think you'd only had him for a few days at that point. How has the first full week been? How is Max? Is Max getting along with Ramona? Is, uh, you know, is he your new running buddy already? How are things? I'm glad you asked, Haley. So I, Max, ran 21 miles last week. Whoa! Oh, total, total, <laughs> not all at once. Okay. <laughs> I'm just like, holy cow. I mean, one, you're already running 21 miles, like only a few weeks after Barkley. I was like, geez. And then this new dog can do that because I know that my dog, Cowboy, is not doing 21 miles. But go ahead. Okay. No, so cool. we did. Yeah, we did. I had like a four, a five, a six. Um... And, uh, wait, this is not going to be 21. No. How... You're six. a math major. I know. That... You're a math major, Alyssa. We had six, five, four, three. Does that add up to 21? 18. Oh, but then he ran some with Matt. So I think that was it too. Oh, so, okay. okay. Um, anyway, he has been doing great. He really loves running and definitely that helps, um, him get all of his energy out. I try, except he does that thing where like he fast walks. So like if I'm running my normal, like you know, not hard pace, which is probably like on a flat rail trail, which is where I've been taking him like eight to eight thirty pace. And he does this really annoying thing where he just like walks basically at that pace. <laughs> so he doesn't Wait, are you trying hard he, at all. Is he on a leash or is he yes. off leash? So he's on the waist leash. Okay. Um, and so he does really good on that. But then this last run, I was like the six miler. I was like, okay, he's still just walking at this pace. I'm going to just finish with the last one as fast as I can run today and see if I can make him run, right? Like see if I can beat Max. And so first of all, my legs decided they weren't going to really work. And so I only could run a seven minute mile. <laughs> but then, well, I mean, it was definitely fa faster, right? But he still was just like fast walking. So I think because he hasn't been like trained to be a runner, he has to figure, figure out that like he can jog kind of, you know, because fast walking must be really, he must be like, why is she making me speed walk? Right. So <laughs> maybe um, he feels comfortable. Wait, yeah. is he okay? So, cause sometimes when I run with cowboy on a waist leash as well, and there are some days when it's like, he's like a sled dog and he's kind of pulling yeah. me and it's kind of wonderful. And there are some days when he is like a parachute and is just like, he is just like not into going that fast. And we're not talking yeah i mean 8 30 he's like nah i just don't feel like it especially if there's like smells and stuff and i'm like running up a hill and i'm like i just tell myself it's like good resistance training is max a sled dog or a parachute mostly sled dog sometimes a parachute i actually thought of you when he did the parachute move <laughs> in the last run so i was like oh this is like exactly like swimming with a parachute on me or running i I've never actually run with a parachute i've only swum with one um so but it was a lot like that but um, but overall, he's doing great, except Haley today. <laughs> he's had oh, no, no incidents, no getting into mischief. And we're like, man, we just adopted this perfect dog who gets into no mischief when adults aren't around. Like, he's just perfect like Ramona. And then today I went to the grocery store, came home, and he had 
pulled from the counter this plate that I used to put like oil and balsamic vinegar because I'm fancy, you guys, Ooh, <laughs> for bread. <laughs> and so he pulled that plate off and the plate was broken <gasps> all over the kitchen floor. Luckily, it wasn't like dangerously broke because it's like pretty small. But he probably had licked it all up. too. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> It's true too. The floor was clean, so which is funny because there definitely was some stuff in that in that bowl. Um, and then he also must have gotten onto the dining room table because I had this like fanny pack that I use when I walk them and I have treats in there. And he got up onto the dining room table and stole the fanny pack, took the treats out, and there was like luckily he didn't eat the Ziploc bag, but he had like eaten through the Ziploc bag to get to them, and then like definitely taken everything else out looking for any other rogue treats in there. So Maxwell, you know, so of course I'm like investigating and I'm like, is it normal for (laughs) rescue dogs to all of a sudden act bad (laughs) into the Google machine? And Google told me yes. So, and this is something that makes a lot of sense. I think I kind of knew this, but Ramona was just so perfect or it's been so long. I forgot about her like bad behavior in the beginning. So apparently if you get a dog from a shelter, they try and teach you the three, three, three rule, which means like three days, the first three days could be like pretty treacherous, right? Like a lot of things are going like, and they give you a list of things that are happening. Like it's hiding. It might be like scared, blah, blah, blah. And then within the first three weeks, they give you a list of things that's happening. And one of those, like he starts to settle in, he feels more comfortable. He realizes he's staying. And then like, he's his some bad behaviors start to come out (laughs) but then within three months he you can like change those and he's like the best dog ever right so um it's all normal stuff and we're just gonna have to not leave food on the counter he's very tall so the counter surfing is just gonna be and ramona does even though she's perfect she counter surfs too she's just a short stubby animal so when you got got long legs he knows how to use them but anyway max is good (laughs) I, I can't leave anything like on the counter that in Cowboys reach and he does not have long legs, but he is like, he will like stretch himself and like, he has his tongue out and like, he's trying, like I did once leave, I I left a bag of like six bagels and then I got a phone call and I came down and the look on his face, the bag was empty and like, he was so sick. Like that was so bad. Like he felt so bad. Like his punishment was that like all those carbs. I maybe yeah. I was just he wasn't sick. I don't know. He's done that a couple of times and it's like I have learned I can't leave anything. Like everything has to be the very back of the counter. So um yeah, but that's I don't know. Dogs are so cute. But I love that you're running together and I like that Max is settling in and and how's Ramona as a big sister? Is she feeling okay about it? mostly fine you know we try and make sure they get separate space their place she's like a pretty rough play style person and so dog (laughs) (laughs) and he is too like so they're kind of trying to balance each other out she's she's just not used to someone kind of giving her a taste of her own medicine so you know they have supervised play and like sometimes i have to step in and be like all right cool it you guys um But for the most part, I think she likes having a partner in crime because I will tell you one thing I know, her behavior is perfect. But as soon as those treats from the fanny pack were like fair game, I 100% know Ramona was in on the eating of those treats. So I think she likes that she can have someone taller to like reach things off the counter and like, you know, do some stuff for her. So, yeah. Well, um, well, we have, uh, for the past couple of weeks have not done a mailbag question because we've just had a lot of racing to be done. And, um, I am on the start list for Oceanside this weekend, but I am not racing because 
I'm tired. <laughs> and you're jet lagged. Speaking one a race. And so you're allowed to be tired. Yeah. Actually, that I mean, this is, <laughs> yeah. And this is something that like, I think as a professional, we can do a little bit, we can, uh, you know, sign up for races and, and, you know, I had some issues getting down to Chile and if I hadn't made it to Puerto Varas in time for the race, it was nice to have Oceanside as an option and or something had gone wrong and I felt like I needed another race. Um, I liked having that as an option a few weeks later, but because things went well in Chile, I, um, you know, I, I know that my training is on a good trajectory for St. George and for the Ironman there. I don't feel like I need to race, but I am actually headed to San Diego for the team SFQ camp. So I still get some sun in the California, California sunshine and some, uh, good team time there, but, um, I won't be racing, but anyway, because we have our mailbag, we are going to do a mailbag this week. I'm very excited about it. Alyssa, are you, are you going to read it? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So this comes in from Liza and Liza needs some helmet advice. So she races 70.3s and is a competitive age grouper. So going fast is very important to her. Um, and she's racing the Ironman African champs. That's a full. So she's like a competitive 70.3, but then she's racing the Ironman. Is this what she's saying to us? Yeah, I think it says it's her first Ironman. Is it her first Ironman? Oh, yeah. I need to read the next line of this. It's my first full, says Liza. So, okay. So she's <laughs> been competitive at 70.3. She's making the leap to the full Ironman. Very exciting. And she's having some helmet woes. So like Haley, she likes colder temperatures. She gets hot easily. And she usually races in her TT helmet, which is the Cask Bambino Pro, which Haley, I think, didn't you race in that one? I have raced in that one, yes. So she's worried about getting too hot in that. Over the 180 kilometers, should she suck it up? Ignore the sweaty visor. Is it better to be more comfortable in her road helmet? Nelson Mandela Bay always is windy, so I'm leaning towards wearing the time trial helmet, but she's also stressed. It's just going to make her uncomfortable. She's done some long rides in it, and it irritates her, but, you know, everyone tells her, like, probably those are the fastest ones. Like, we racing the fastest. Um, and I can say I did race Ironman South Africa, and it is hot, and it is windy. So this is a valid concern, I think. I think I raced in a, actually, I know I raced in a road helmet when I raced there. You did. Um, Interesting. Mm -hmm. yeah. Was it because of the heat? Yes. Yes. Um, cause it was really, I, yeah, I actually, I had a lot of issues in that race. My like arrow thing. I remember this one picture of me. I was, I had to carry all my hydration in my, the front of my top <laughs> for that race on the bike. That was a special race. <laughs> <laughs> and I just I like vividly can see myself the race photo right and it's like I have bottles literally just stuck on top of my tri top did you not have like a bike like a like a bottle harrier two, on your bike two of my hydration things the the bike course has since changed but when I did it the road service was really really bad and I had two catastrophic malfunctions one was like a carbon uh, bottle arrow bottle thing. And it was just like, I hit a bump and like, poosh, the carbon just like snapped and broke and it like flew off. It wasn't like I hadn't screwed it in, like nothing like that. It was just like catastrophic hydration malfunctions. But anyway, <laughs> I wore a road helmet. So that's besides the point. Haley, do you have some insight? Cause I've never worn that one, the time trial helmet that she's talking about the cask. Um, so what are your thoughts? So my thought is where, the arrow helmet. And I do say this as someone who gets very hot, very easily. I've worn it. I've worn, I believe actually the cask Bambino in Hawaii, which is all is like the hottest 
windiest race have ever done <laughs> and it's horrible but um i would just say i do think it's faster i don't think you're gonna feel a whole lot cooler wearing a road helmet i think that the aero gains are worth it one thing i would suggest is that um when you go through aid stations usually there is water at the beginning and at the end and so i think it is worth slowing down and making sure you grab some water and sometimes what you can do is if like you need the water, grab the first one and like pour that or, you know, put it down your top, wherever you're carrying your water, um, you know, get that for, you know, hydration for actually drinking and then grab a second bottle and pour it, put that on your back and your face if you can. And so it's, you're not gonna be able to necessarily get it on your head because you have that arrow helmet on, but that will cool you off to like have that, you know, just that splash of cold water on your face, on your back. And hopefully we'll keep you cool through the next aid station. I should also add that when I raced in South Africa, I think it was like 2015, if not 2014. So 2015, I think. So air helmets have actually come a long way in the last, what, six years. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I was, you know, like, I really did not like the, like, there was just no ventilation in the ones that I had. Um, they have come a long way in, in since then. And the other question, Haley, do you ever race with it without the visor on? Because I feel like that's, you can still get a lot of arrow gains and not have the visor and be a decent bit cooler. But I've, again, I've never worn that specific one if that's like possible. Yeah. I've taken the visor off when I, it was rainy. So and I, like, I or couldn't see through it. And so you can, it is magnetic. So I think you can just like kind of flip it up. Um, and so that probably, you know, that would allow you to, again, like actually spray water on your face. And so if it doesn't bother your eyes to not have the visor, you could do that. I have raced in one when I, I actually had the helmet before I had the visor. And so I've raced with like regular sunglasses. And I think I agree with you, Alyssa, like you have some arrow gains. It probably is a little bit cooler, but um, personally, the visor doesn't bother me too much. And so it's not like I feel like I'm uh, that much hotter. Again, I just heat management, like I, for me, heat management is key. So like slowing down at the A stations and grabbing that second bottle of water and just like doing what I can to manage the heat is um, I find that it's like the best thing for me. Well, Liza, hopefully this helps. Uh, we're really excited to hear. Let us know what you'd go with and what you Afterwards. Good luck. Yeah, First good luck. Um, have fun. So that race is this weekend, right? April, April today. Wait, what day is today? April 3rd? Is April that what? April 3rd is what she says. Yes, the 3rd yeah. of April. Yep. That's this weekend. Um, so best. So yeah, Liza, let us know. And to everyone else, keep sending in mailbag questions to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. Haley, this is also, as we are almost in April um, today, actually, if you're listening to this podcast today is the last day you could possibly order um that's it fruit bars with the iron women discount code and get 20 percent off your first order unless all of our listeners like really blow it out of the park and we have so many orders that's it wants to extend again but we can't guarantee that you guys so head to that's it fruit.com get some fruit bars get some crunchables i think they also restocked some like truffle stuff I saw I got an email about I don't know something about that too so give those a try those sounded really good and let us know what you think code iron women 20% off your first order all right and we have a great interview for you today um I'm really excited we're chatting with Jess Smith and Jess is 
kind of uh, someone that I think Alyssa and I looked up to as when we were age groupers, she was kind of, I guess, a year ahead of us, a class ahead of us in, um, she won the 2011 age group world championships at 70.3 and went pro soon after that. And so we kind of got to watch her, that transition from age grouper to pro a little bit before myself and Alyssa um, did that. And since then she, you know, she managed some pro podiums. She took a break to have two children. She has come back and she has a really unique perspective on the sport in that uh, she's been racing for, for a long time as an age grouper, as a pro, and she has no intention of ever stopping. I mean, Jess is someone who is going to be like the 90 year old finishing Kona. And we're all like, how? And then we're uh, those of us who know her are going to be like, oh, that's just Jess. So um, it's a great conversation. We're excited to have her on and we'll have that talk for you right after the break. Hi, Jess. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for having me. So we consider you one of the prolific triathlon bloggers of the 2010s, along with other athletes we've had in the show, like Jocelyn Wong and Jenny Hansen. But I recently tried to visit jessmithtry.com to do a casual pre-interview stroll down memory lane, and I got a fatal error. <laughs> that was what it said on the screen. So is the blog officially gone? What happened? Oh God. Fatal error is like the perfect description of my poor website now. <laughs> You know, I didn't even know that it was gone. I don't know how long it's been gone, honestly. And, but I, I think I checked in like right before the pandemic started and I was like, oh no, my website's gone. I got to fix this. And then the pandemic hit and then it was like, okay, yeah, this is not, <laughs> this is not going to be on my plate for a while. And we're just going to pretend like that's not an issue. We'll send everybody to the hardcore coaching website. It's fine. <laughs> I'm not, well, I mean- you know, those five people that might visit my website in the next two years will be disappointed, but. Sometimes I look back at like my archives to help jog my memory about things that I've like raced or done or whatever. So hopefully yours are like somewhere still safe, like on a server yeah. or like a blog spot login or something like that. Who knows? But because um, it can be kind of a nice archive to have memories like from that time. For sure. Well, it's kind of funny. I had a, there was um, a guy I used to train with. And his wife worked, they had kind of like a website development company, but all their workers were, were in Armenia because they're Armenian. And they actually like helped me get it set up. I met with them in the States and then they had their team in Armenia set up my website and they were so wonderful, but they've since moved back to Armenia and I've kind of fell out of touch. <laughs> so I feel bad like reaching out to them and saying, Hey, can we, can we get this back up and running? It's probably as easy as sending an email. So Thanks for calling me out. I should probably get on that. And the good news is I feel like there's a lot more developments in website, like building since 2010 era. <laughs> <laughs> so it is like, if you, if you want to come back into the world, um, as someone who still blogs, you know, we, we would yes. welcome you back in. <laughs> and, um, I think you'll find it a little bit easier than it was back in the day. Mine is um, still frozen. Yeah. Mine's still, mine, mine is still there, but it's like, I think I last posted in like I might have done one in like 2016. I think it was that it was like a sale. There's like a sale on Smash Fest Queen Gear. 
2016. But I had a reporter ask me this once and they're like, why don't you start blogging again? And I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to get right on that. And I've had like one or two people and I'm like, oh, I should. And then I don't even know if I remember my password to get in, but I've done what Alyssa said, where I've gone back and like, been like, I need a photo of this. And then I go and I'm like, wow, photo cameras were bad back then. (laughs) But I thought this was such a good photo. I know. I remember when I was setting up my website and they kept asking me if I had better high resolution photos. Like, um, let me see if I downloaded some from race day or something. Yeah. And you know, those are always terrible. I'm like, no, I have nothing for you. I'm sorry. Can't you work with this? Can't you just fix it? Well, just, we do have questions for you, not about your fatal error website. So <laughs> you first raced your, you raced your first Ironman in Coeur d'Alene in 2007 I think you were like 25 or 26 years old and you immediately thought you might have a chance at someday racing pro. (laughs) So what initially drew you to both like racing Ironman and then being like, whoa, like maybe I can do this at the highest level. (laughs) So actually I grew up swimming, uh, never as fast as Haley, but I grew up swimming. Um, and I was always the endurance athlete. Right. So like I, one of the famous quotes from my swim coach after watching me do a 50 free when I was 12, he said, there goes our miler. Um, so I'll never forget that, <laughs> forget that never could sprint, but, um, was always, was always in endurance sports. And, you know, I, I did cross country in middle school and, you know, was a pretty decent runner. And I was just kind of thought I want, would want to do triathlon someday. Um, I saw Ironman Hawaii on TV, I think maybe when I was like 12 and I thought, oh yeah, that's what I want to do. You know, you see these people like puking and like falling apart on the side of the road and it just looked awesome. And I'm like, that is, I'm going to do that someday. And then I graduated college and um, I ran a marathon. And then I thought, you know, if I'm going to be a triathlete, I probably need a bicycle. You know, because in my mind, I was like, I'm going to be this triathlete someday. And I didn't own a bicycle. So um, got a $600 bicycle and uh, learned that I needed shoes that clipped into my bike. And that did not go well to start. Um, and so it was very, <laughs> it's a very crazy introduction. I joined a triathlon team. And people, you know, are very friendly. I would say if you're just getting started, join a team because there's so much you don't know about how to get started. And you need people that have been there to say, okay, this is how you don't fall over on your bike. Um, These are the things you need to be doing. Um, Yeah, actually, you need to learn to eat on your bike. Um, Yeah, even if you're a swimmer, you should try your wetsuit and swim open water before your first race, which I did not. So I had a little bit of a panic moment. Uh, My first race that I signed up for was a half Ironman. And everybody said, do you want to do something shorter first? And I thought, why? Um, and so, <laughs> you know, so that, so I did Ironman and I was just, I was hooked. I was like, this is, I love this. It was brutal and awesome. And I mean, I was, I think I went 1239. I was nowhere near the front of the pack. Um, and I told my husband, I was like, I want to keep doing this. I want to, I want to race as a pro. <laughs> he just kind of looked at me. He was my boyfriend at the time. And uh was like okay yeah sure you know you were like three hours from where you need to be but no problem and so uh and then after the first Ironman we moved to California Mark got into a PhD program at Stanford and you know I went from Texas riding around this lake flat as a pancake to having to climb up these hills and um, built so much strength on the bike and then you know did my second Ironman and somehow qualified for Kona by less than a second and uh took off two hours and 
<laughs> yeah, wait, I literally when, passed when, the girl in the finisher, finishing shoot. No, in your second, I'm like, wait a second, because this is like mass start days. And so yes. you would have actually been like right next to each other. <gasps> yeah, so we actually had the exact same time and her name was alphabetically higher than mine. So in the results, they listed, because they didn't do tens or hundreds in the results, they only went to the second. So they actually listed her time, her above me. And I had no idea where I was in this race, right? But I like, I had a way better run than I thought. And I mean, I sprinted across the line and I had no idea that I was in third going into second. No idea that this girl was in my age group. I just was like, you finish strong, right? Like you finish as hard as you can always. So I sprint across the line and I passed this girl, like, literally one step over the line and my husband's like I think you just got second in your age group and we knew that second place would be good enough for Kona and I was like seriously but then we looked at the results and they actually went back and like looked at the footage and said oh yeah yeah you crossed first so they made sure that I got the spot <laughs> and she did it wow oh Goodness, I always have like dreams about what if happened if I have like a real true sprint Ironman finish. And like when I'm having a really good training day, I'm like, oh, I'd do it. And then when I'm actually in the race, I'm like, please, please don't let that happen. Please don't let that happen. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, and the best is one of my girlfriends said, did you see that um, the back and forth on slow twitch? And I'm like, what's slow twitch? This was like three or four months later. I'm like, I have no idea what that is. This is 2009. And she said, they were talking about you on slow Twitch. And so I said, what? And she's like, here's the link. And they were like, some guy, I, I guess, was like, did you see the finish of the women's 30 to 34 at Arizona? Um, like this girl, Jessica Smith, got her Kona spot by less than a second. That poor girl that she beat, you know, and like everybody was chiming in like, oh, that's so horrible. Poor thing. Like she must be so devastated. Like talking about the girl that I beat. And that girl actually got into the thread and was like, yeah, I was so upset. I had no idea that she was behind me. And, you know, I would have pushed a little harder if I knew I was getting run down. You know, I was really bummed out and all these people were like, you poor thing. And I was like, and then finally some guy chimed in and said, I looked at the images of this race and Jess was on a road bike with arrow bars and no arrow helmet and no arrow wheels. So I think we can give her the win. I was like, thanks buddy, you're my hero. <laughs> Also, have know. these people ever heard of a race? Yeah, exactly, like, right? Like, right? <laughs> it doesn't end. Like, That's the number one rule in racing is like, it's not over till the finish line. So then the best, so when I raced uh, Ironman St. George in 2011, that was the first time I'd ever won the amateur division. And man, they caught me like Matt Lieto. I had, you know, met him through Matt Dixon at um, training camps and he was commentating. And so on the coverage, they had like, oh, an honorable mention, Jess Smith or whatever. I was like, thanks for throwing me a bone, Matt. And uh, my girlfriend was like, why were you sprinting across the finish line? Because <laughs> like, there's no one around. But she was like, I saw you and you were like, fast as you possibly could. I'm like, dude, you always sprint across <laughs> like, behind you. And then, you know, if nobody's behind you. So I've, I've chilled out a little bit since then. Like, I'll do the over the shoulder. Like, I'm good. I don't need to sprint today. But <laughs> Oh man, that's, um, I, that's so, that's a great story. That is a great story. I I'm, and it's so fun to be on the, the plus side of that, like the, and I also know. having it come down to the Kona slot. Wow. Right. Um, and, and so I missed all this. I missed this slow Twitch thread because the first time I think I had ever, um, you heard of you and you popped on my radar was when I think you won some kind of training scholarship for elite age groupers with, coach Matt Dixon and purple patch yes. fitness. You just, you just mentioned is, so I have that memory, right? 
Yes. Yeah. So I had some friends that were, um, cause I was in the Bay area and I was training with a team in out of Menlo park, California, which is uh, close to Palo Alto. And a lot of people, um, knew Matt Dixon just from triathlon circles in the Bay area. And they told me about this program that he was running where it was like age groupers could go to his pro camp if they, you know, showed promise or whatever. And I think it said, um, we're looking for athletes that are, uh, 25 to 29, but special will, consideration will be given, um, to older athletes, you know, or whatever. And they're like, you need to apply for this. And I'm like, I'm about to turn 30. I'm pretty sure I'm not what he's looking for. And so, you know, I just put in my application anyway, he's like asking me for a race resume. And I'm like, okay, here are my like three races that I've done. (laughs) And so I put that in and he gave me a call and we talked for a little bit. And, you know, I was just like total fangirl of Meredith Kessler. Um, I had followed her career because she, you know, she was doing Ironmans for so long. And then, you know, she started working with Matt and then she just kind of exploded. And then, you know, she had a phenomenal last year as an age grouper, then went pro and it was just like, boom, she was winning. And I was like, oh my God, I want to be Meredith. Like, this is who I want to be. And so that's what he said. He was like, what do you want? <laughs> I said, I want to be the next Meredith Kessler. Obviously that didn't quite work out, but you know, I got to, I got to know Meredith and, and get to go to the pro camp. And um, I think <laughs> the best was on our first ride. Um, I just had a moment where, you know, cause you're on a group ride and it was like me and this age group guy and then like all of Matt's pros. So, you know, Meredith and Lindsay Corbin, um, Sam McGlone was there. Hillary Biscay was actually there with us as well. She wasn't training with Matt, but she, you know, was in Tucson. So she came in and rode, um, and then a bunch of guys. And so we, you know, we had like a natural break and, you know, on the side of the road in the middle of all these cactuses. And I'm like looking around, I'm like, oh my God, I'm peeing with like five Ironman champions right now. <laughs> <laughs> so then they were all very lovely and very welcoming. And, and Sarah P actually was there as well. Um, so that's when we got to know each other. And um, yeah, it was, it was fun. But yeah, I was very surprised when he picked me. I was like, oh, I'm the, I'm the old girl. <laughs> Which now I'm like, that seems young, but at the time it was uh, a little older than I thought he would would go for. And just so you went on to win the overall amateur race at the 2011 70.3 World Championship that was held in Las Vegas that year. I think I might have raced there as an amateur too. You and... did. I, yeah. You did. <laughs> Watching it because I was I following. Think, I, think, I, think I was I not there. With Jenny Hansen. We like shared a hotel room. <laughs> and I was like, that was when I was like, yeah, 70.3 is really not going to be my wheelhouse. Like, yeah. <laughs> so it would all be sticking with Ironman. Um, but you, so you won the overall amateur race and then you made your pro debut just two months later at Ironman Arizona. So when, you know, you were doing that, was it important for you to feel like you wanted that stepping stone of that 70.3 amateur world title before you took your pro card? Yeah. You know, that really came out of the blue for me. Um, you know, I mean, there were so many amazing girls in that age group at that time. Um, Beth McKenzie was there, Beth, uh, Peterson, was there, um, Sarah P was there. And so, you know, I just happened to have like a phenomenal day for me. And then I think, you know, they didn't have the best days for them. <laughs> Otherwise I think they would have killed me. And then obviously they went on to do, you know, amazing things and win tons of races. Um, but you know, when I talked with Matt, cause I had actually technically qualified for my pro card before I started working with Matt, but I, you know, I wasn't going to take it quite yet, but that I knew that was something that I wanted to do. Um, but when I started working with him, he was, it was very like, you need to feel like you're not 
not going to win the pro field, but be at least competitive, like on a competitive level before you make that jump, because it's a very different race, right? You go from mass start being able to draft off anyone in the swim, you know, tons of people on the bike course to almost racing alone a lot of the time. Um, right. And so, you know, it's just, it's a very different race. And he wanted to make sure that I, cause I, when I started working with him, I actually hadn't won an age group. I had I had won like local Olympics, but I hadn't won any like big races. I hadn't won any 70.3s. I hadn't won any Ironmans. Um, the Kona second place in my age group was the closest I had been. So um, I won St. George that year, the iron, the overall age group at St. George. And he was like, okay, that's good, but we got to see what else you can do. And then we went into Vegas and, you know, I'd really been focusing on Kona and I think I just do better really racing 70.3 when I'm training for Ironman, go figure. Um, but yeah, no, that day I just, I felt terrible the day before I woke up in the morning. I'm like, I think I'm getting sick. Like I shouldn't even, I don't even want to race. Like this is going to be terrible. And then, you know, I think because I wasn't, I didn't have any expectations. I just completely took the pressure off myself. And I was like, oh, I'm expecting these people and I'm not, you know, like, I'm just going to go out and race hard and have fun and, um, you know, try to be smart and use this as a great training day for um, Kona. And then, you know, it just kind of all fell into place. And I, you know, it wasn't, I didn't feel like any one aspect of that race was phenomenal. It was just kind of like, okay, I just kept trucking along. And then, you know, I just, the people I expected to catch me didn't catch me. I'm like, okay, this is great. Um, and so when they, you know, my coach told me I was, I had, you know, in the age group division, I was very surprised. I think it was by less than a minute, but you know, Hey, you gotta, you gotta take the wins even when they're close. Right. A minute so. is a lot. A minute's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, that's after, a huge... right. But then after that, he was, you know, I said, okay, do I like, am I ready? He's like, okay, you're ready. And then, yeah pro field is, you know, first couple of years as a pro is a different story, but, um, but yeah, that was a, that was definitely a high point. Yeah. Amateur, uh, amateur racing for sure. I do want to ask about, you know, that jump to the pro ranks because I did a very similar progression a year after you in 2012, where I raised 70.3 worlds, Kona and Arizona, like did that triple. And I remember it being a lot of racing, but I also thought it was a lot of fun because especially having that third race be a pro debut was just yeah. exciting. Like it was just really exciting yeah. and new. And I'm curious about like how you felt. Um, I mean, you just alluded to like the pro ranks being quite different. Did you feel like you belonged immediately? Um, not really. I mean, I thought it, the first race, it was definitely just kind of like, well, this is my first race as a pro who, who knows what's going to happen. I'm just excited. You know, there's no pressure whatsoever. You just kind of go out and race. And yeah, I thought that was probably one of the most fun races, at least for a while, um, was that first one. Cause I, I went into it with not really having a ton of expectations. It was a really, really deep field that year. Um, and I walked away with another, like, I mean, I think it was like 50 minute PR or something that day. And so, you know, I think I ended up 12th still, you know, I'm like, Oh my God, these women are so fast. So it was, it was cool to race, you know, with the top girls. Um, and it was awesome to get a PR and be out there and, and then kind of, you know, it just shows you like the, the fields were getting so much deeper, so much faster at that time. I think, you know, I looked back and my time would have won the race in 2006. And so just five years later, I was 12, you know, and so the, the speed at which the sport was growing and improving and what women were capable of doing was just, you know, it was just awe-inspiring. And so to be a part of that, I just, that was really cool. And, 
um, you know, just breaking barriers. And it's like, all right, well, this now is the, like, this now is the goal. This is what you got to shoot for. You know, you can't run a, you can't run a 320 anymore. You got to run a three hour <laughs> marathon, you know? So it's cool to see. And it, you know, it just, it pushes you beyond, you know, where you think you, you can go to when other people are setting, you know, this, the standard really high. So and Jess, I wanted to kind of circle back to, you mentioned Meredith Kessler before and how like she kind of inspired you as an amateur athlete wanting to join the pro ranks. And you were like, you know, I want to be the next Meredith Kessler. I think we all want to be the next Meredith Kessler for so many reasons. <laughs> right. just, just so dialed in on, on and off the oh race. Gosh, right? but, um, you know, and I think we all have that person now, you know, like I had Hillary and like, I really looked up to Hillary and like Haley Cooper Scott. Like, I just remember looking at these women who were racing and I was like, I like you put yourself in their shoes. Right. And like seeing that, but then you mentioned like that goal kind of, you know, eventually you realize like, okay, like I'm, I'm my own athlete. Right. And like you yeah. shift your own path. So can you talk about that kind of realization and how that kind of came about for you with your career? Yeah, actually. So I had, you know, 2011 was a phenomenal year after St. George and then Vegas. And then, you know, Dave, you, you like getting, taking my pro card and feeling like, okay, I wasn't, you know, one of the best, but, you know, I was out there kind of mixing it up. Um, and then 2012, it was like, okay, now I'm a pro and I should be able to do X, Y, and Z. Right. And instead of saying, this is where I am now and baby steps, how do I get to this next step and this next step it was like you know I saw other women taking these super fast trajectories and I had this expectation of myself that that was going to happen for me too I hadn't been doing triathlon that long especially seriously so I was like well why am I not you know jumping from 12th to third this year you know and I had some terrible races um and to be honest like you know I was still working full-time I was commuting to the city so I'd have like an hour commute each way and then an eight hour work day and then trying to fit training in around there. And, you know, I just didn't have, I didn't have the time in my day to do 30 hour training weeks. And so, you know, I was, you know, working with Matt, we were trying to pair back on some of the training and it was, you know, the, the easier stuff, the more aerobic stuff is what we cut because then it was, well, we've got, we want to get in this high intensity work. We want to get in all this stuff to make you faster. And I was just breaking my, <laughs> my confidence was in the toilet and, you know, there, this wasn't anything, you know, Matt was trying to find the best recipe for me and it just, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't working and I wasn't, you know, he was the first coach I'd ever had. So it was for me, I was like, okay, I'm just going to do what he says. And I wasn't giving him the feedback that he needed to be effective, an effective coach for me. Um, and I, you know, every race I would go do, I'd have like glimpses of, Hey, my swim is really great. Or like, I had a phenomenal bike, but I just couldn't put it together. And, you know, I was just for the next two years, I like went through these patterns of like feeling good, training really hard, having great numbers. And then like, I'd have two days in like where I couldn't get out of bed because I was just exhausted. And then I couldn't, then I wasn't racing well and I was getting really discouraged. And I, you know, it was just like, you know, but I'm a pretty optimistic person. So I, you know, I'd like, I get discouraged, but then I bounce back and I'd be like, all right, this is going to be great. I'm going to, you know, do this thing. And, um, and then after like a year and a half of that and having another Ironman where I had to pull out, cause I just like, I, you know, I'm like, I don't know how I'm tired, so tired on this bike, but I can't even finish a, the bike ride in an Ironman. Like, I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, and you know, I hadn't done any blood now. I'm like, 
oh my God, like I didn't have inside tracker and like all these things to like check my blood work. I probably should have looked at my iron levels and, you know, I just wasn't doing any of that. Um, and so, you know, I talked with Matt and it, you know, we just decided maybe it was better if, you know, that maybe the plan wasn't working for me. And, um, so I kind of started working with a coach that was local to me that I had been training with his squad. Um, and he was kind of like, you, you've got to let go of like where you think you need to be these expectations, stop looking at everyone else because your journey is totally unique to you and you're, you're broken. Like you're killing yourself. This training is not, you know, so it was like, we took it way back. And for a while, everything that I did was like training for fun. Like what sounds fun? Like, what do you love doing? And I love to just go out with my teammates and climb on the bike. Like that was my favorite thing. And my coach was like, great, go do that for five hours. And I'm like, what do we need? Like intervals, you know, pace targets, heart, power targets. He's like, no, my God, just go ride your bike. You know? And then it was like, okay, I found the fun and the enjoyment. And then we really talked about like those mental barriers that I was really struggling with. And, and, you know, I got to the point where I go in in a race and I just have this feeling where I just knew, ugh, like, I know I'm not going to have a good race. And then I just couldn't turn it around. And he was like, well, what, what confidence builder, what, what do we need to get your confidence back? What, you know? And so we talked a lot about that and it was just a different, different approach. Um, and so I think, because I did, I felt like, okay, well, I won this race. So yeah, I should be competitive with the pro field. And then I wasn't right away. You know, I, I was never at the back, right. It was kind of always like middle to middle back. And then I, you know, it was just like, I can't, why can't I not move to the middle, middle front? And, you know, I just, I thought I should be there and I wasn't, and I was embarrassed, you know, I felt embarrassed because I'm like, I'm a pro and, but I'm not a fast one. And all these people are going to think, why is she even in the pro field? And you know, and, and that's another thing that I've talked to some of my athletes about, like, who cares? <laughs> like, race for you. Like, who cares if somebody says, oh, you shouldn't be there. You're too slow. So what? Like, do you do you like where you are? Do you like what you're doing? Because I think that's what matters. Um, and so, yeah, that transition was hard. But then, you know, working with the, the different coach and just kind of taking the perspective of like, all right, here's where I am now. And let's just work from there. And like, let's, let's train with excitement and gratitude. Cause that's what got me to the pro field was like exceeding expectations and doing things that were fun. And that I just, I was like, oh my God, where, <laughs> where did this come from? And so when I got to back to that, then things started getting better and better and more enjoyment. And then, you know, babies came along. <laughs> But before we get to the babies, in 2014, <laughs> you returned to Coeur d'Alene and you finished on the podium as the third pro woman. So I am curious, was it extra special to get your first podium at the same race that had yes. started it all seven years earlier? Yes. And I just, oh, I just love Coeur d'Alene. It's like my favorite place to race. It's so amazing. We had this homestay and um, they were just, they're such phenomenal people. And this little girl who's probably like 20 something now. Um, like had signs out there for me and um, but yeah no I was like I want to go back to Coeur d'Alene and yeah I just had another kind of one of those days you know I mean the, the field wasn't super deep but um, I you know it was one of those days where I put it all together and that was the first Ironman that I did with the new plan after kind of you know just taking a step back and and it was like oh my gosh okay now this is the right this is the right path for me not the you know this like that other kind of like mentality that training might work for other people, but clearly it was, you know, 
and you know, I had I had some other good races that year, and it, and then yeah, and then babies. But yeah, it was very special, and that was not lost on me that that was where I had done my first Ironman, and then I finally had a pro podium um, in Coeur d'Alene, and so yeah, Coeur d'Alene, I love you. We <laughs> all love Coeur d'Alene. I love to hate Coeur d'Alene as much. I would keep going back as much as it's like it always just throws me for a loop every single time. But that's what you want out of Ironman, right? So yeah. Um, oh my right, god. So- you, oh. you guys were you both there this past summer right oh yeah 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 that's right that's you're right. still trying oh. to cool off <laughs> that just raising that bar of I've never been as hot as I was this day right so yeah oh my gosh oh, yeah I got I've had I've been very lucky the first year I did my Ironman it was very windy and they actually said if anybody isn't comfortable swimming we'll let you do a duathlon today and I was like oh that's 2007 I know yeah oh that's like the good old days yeah the best the best is coming out of that race too you know I grew up a swimmer and so and it was really choppy and so I was like super confident about the swim was on the bike and I mean I was just getting passed by everyone and everybody was like great swim you had such an awesome swim good job and I was riding along I'm like these people are so nice this is so great and then it dawned on me like Oh my God, I'm so slow on the bike. <laughs> That's why they're telling me I had such a great swim because I'm just, they're just passing me like I'm standing still. <laughs> I've been there. I've been there. <laughs> okay, Jess. Well, now we are into talking to you about the baby era. So in late yes. 2015, you welcomed your first child, even though we're only talking six years ago. There weren't a lot of examples of like the female pro triathletes who had returned back to racing after starting a family, really, you know, male or female, even, I guess we can say at that point, it just wasn't something talked about, really displayed, like, yeah. you know, put out for people to, to see. So do you have any guidance on what to expect from a training racing sponsorship perspective? I know that's like <laughs> a huge question, right? But like, was there someone you looked to for guidance or were you just winging it through that time as you had to navigate it? Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, it's so funny now because I feel like everybody I know has had a baby in the last <laughs> five or six years. Um, but yeah, no, there, I mean, I, there were some, you know, runners that I saw, but, and I had, I'm trying to think now, God, that feels so long ago. Um, but no, it was, you know, I had some friends that had had kids that were active, but they weren't professionals. And they just said, oh, you know, it's going to really take a toll on your body. And, and honestly, I thought, I'm just going to keep it light, keep it easy. I remember when I called the doctor, you know, because you take a pregnancy test and you've never done it before. So I'm like, they need me to come in to like confirm this. Right. And the nurse was like, okay, we'll see you in like four weeks. I'm like, uh, what do I do for four weeks? <laughs> And so, you know, they're like, we'll start your prenatal vitamin and all this stuff. And, and she was like, and don't get your heart rate above 140. And, and then she stopped and she said, well, do you exercise now? And I said, well, I'm a professional triathlete. And she said, hold on. And she like gets off the phone for a minute and she comes back. She's like, well, just don't exercise to fatigue. And I thought, you don't know anything about triathlon. <laughs> what do you mean? Don't exercise to fatigue. That's how we know we're exercising as we get to fatigue, right? <laughs> Is it even a workout? Um, and so I just, you know, I kept it easy. Um, I was very lucky that I had very easy pregnancies both times around, um, and you know, no complications with birth. And I was able to get back into the swing of things pretty easily. Um, both babies came in mid September. And so it was actually perfect timing because I had September to December 
it was going into the holidays and it was just like, no races were happening for a really long time and there was no pressure. And I just was like, I'm not going to train for anything right now. And, you know, I just kind of let my body be the guide and didn't try to push it that much. It was kind of like, well, I'm just going to do what I feel comfortable with, make sure there's not any pain. And then, you know, by January, February, the following year, um, then I felt like I was able to kind of really get back into some training and push some effort on the bike. And I just kind of let it come organically that way. The one thing that I did change in my training is I really hadn't done any training by heart rate before that. Um, and then uh, on a recommendation of a friend, I read Phil Maffetone's The Math, Me- Math Method book. And I was super intrigued. And so I really started paying attention to my heart rate. And that was like the most fun thing when you're coming back from pregnancy and you have extra weight to run at a specific heart rate because you'll never see more progress in your life <laughs> from, you know, just having a baby to like four or five months down the road. I think, you know, I, I set my like max aerobic heart rate at 150 and I think I took off like two minutes per mile <laughs> in the first six months where, you know, I was running at like nine minute miles to start at that heart rate. And then eventually it was like sub seven. I'm like, okay, this is so great. You know, you get to see that progress over time. Um, But I think with babies and little ones, you're just, you know, we talk a lot about like as coaches and athletes about how much stress you can handle, right. And life stress and training stress and all of those things add up and your body doesn't really distinguish between the two and adding a child, even though it's amazing stress is still stress. And so I couldn't just go out and smash myself and, you know, do a track session and and run all out and go home and just sit on the couch and recover. Right. Like I I just couldn't do those max level efforts anymore. I could go out and train really hard, but I just had to be careful of going too far because I had to come home and be mom. Um, And so heart rate training really allowed me to kind of push the envelope, but not go over the edge so that I could then, you know, there's still some days where I'm like, okay, guys, just (laughs) put on the show mom's tired but um but yeah I think the heart rate training has been really good so that's what I always tell people you know and to and to just be patient because everybody's journey is different and I've seen so much recently with social media I mean social media is kind of always a competition anyway right like people use it as like I'm gonna one-up the next person and I'm gonna be this amazing woman who shows how fast you can come back from pregnancy and win a race And yeah, that might work for some people, but for other people, they get injured right away. And then, you know, they're out for months. And I've seen that several times with new moms recently where they have this phenomenal return to sport and you're like, wow, that's incredible. And then they break and you're like, you, it's so hard to watch, watch that because you're like, we should be supporting one another and like learning from one another, but not have it be this like race to the bottom, which is what eventually, like by trying to race to the top, I feel like it becomes a race to the bottom because it's not, it's an unhealthy, becomes an unhealthy competition and unhealthy expectation. And it's hard not to fall into that trap, right? Like you want people saying, oh my God, you're amazing. You did this and you just had a baby, but um, you know, you got to be careful because when you stop, when you listen to that and stop listening to your body, then it's, you know, it's not going to be good in the end. So and just that's fine. I'll get yeah, my no. soapbox now. <laughs> I think it's great, great advice all around. But in 2019, you made another big change. You moved from the San Francisco Bay Area to Des Moines, Iowa. So can you tell us about that move? Yeah. So we blame it on my little guy, Henry. So my kids are six and three. And we knew once I got pregnant with Henry, we probably weren't going to be able to stay in the Bay Area for very long. We were doing fine, but our place was tiny and already probably too small with one baby. 
Um, and so while I absolutely adore the Bay Area, it's just, you know, unreasonable from a price perspective. Uh, but my in-laws live in Des Moines. My, my parents are in Kansas, so they're only six hours away. Um, so we talked about kind of where we can move that was more affordable. And we thought, well, if we have two little ones, we got to go, you know, we might as well go closer to family. And <laughs> there wasn't a snowball's chance in H-E-L-L that we were going to move to my hometown in Kansas. So um, Des, Moines, Des Moines it was. Um, but I mean, Des Moines is actually pretty awesome. Like it's cold and it snows a lot, but um, the trail system's amazing. I mean, I have gotten very scared of riding outside on open roads and I pretty much stopped doing it before we moved in California anyway, at least not by myself. Um, and there's like a bike path that I could ride a hundred miles if I wanted. And the only thing I have to do is cross a gravel road every now and then. So completely protected. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a really nice place to live. It's a great place to raise a family and, um, you know, we'll be happy when we're out of the winter, but we like it here. So, and now they have an Ironman. So now I can do Ironman Des Moines and I don't have to travel. (laughs) That was going to be my next question because Des Moines has actually always been part of the triathlon scene for years and years, right? Like people will remember the big money high V Olympic distance event that happened there. Um, I guess it's not happening anymore, but it happened there for a a lot of years. And then more recently it's been the host for 70.3. And then this coming June, like you said, that it's hosting the Ironman North America championship. So what can athletes expect from the new Ironman course? Do you, do you have any details? Can you give any insight? So I haven't, you know, I haven't driven the bike course. So if um, the swim is going to be the same as it was for 70.3, it's in Gray's Lake, which is just like a little lake. It's, you know, it's just normal. Um, It's nothing, (laughs) nothing spectacular though. I'm sure it'll be two loops. Um, It'll be, it might be warm, hopefully. I hope it's not in wetsuit Um, because it'll be cuspy for the pros, I'm sure. But the bike course is actually, um, it's going to be, it's one loop. And there, there are lots of hills in this area where I ride, it's pancake flat. But when you get out on those country roads, it's very rolly. And it's, it's those you know, it's not like a quarter lane where you get those big rollers and you're, you're kind of climbing for a couple minutes and then you get these big descents. It's very like up and down and very rolly. And so it's, I think it'll, I'm excited to drive the course, but it could be one of those courses that's kind of tough to find a rhythm because you're kind of always short ups and short downs, right? There's, I'm sure there'll be some stretches where there'll be flat road, but, um, and then I expect they haven't posted the run course, but the 70.3 run course was around the lake and this waterworks park and it's super flat there. So I'm kind of expecting the, the swim to, you know, be kind of like, eh, you know, it's okay. It's in this little lake, but you know, it's, it's a swim. You just need to go the distance, right? Like as long as it's, you know, not choppy and it shouldn't be, um, that swim will be fine. Everything will be well-marked and then the bike will be rolly and then the run should be nice and flat. And that time of year, who knows what kind of weather we'll get. (laughs) <laughs> could be hot, could be cold. Most likely it'll be windy, definitely humid, but yeah, but I'm excited. Although I thought of, I considered sleeping in a hotel the night before, or maybe like my in-laws or something. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, I really like not being mom the day before a race. So I'm not sure how that'll go, but. We did that in college when we had like the national championship in Athens in Georgia and we still went and stayed in a hotel. I think they did it so like we wouldn't, you know, we would be focused. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I mean, there is something to it. Um, I mean, but there's also something nice about like just having all your gear and like staying in your own. Uh, well, that's the hard thing, right? You're like, you want to sleep in your own bed, but I don't want to sleep in a, my own bed with a six and a three year old. Maybe <laughs> yeah. they can go to grandma and grandpa. Yeah, maybe there that's the answer. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, and we always like to give our, you know, our listeners some tips on places to eat, uh, maybe train while they're there. They can check out the bike path or see while they're in Des Moines. Do you have any insider info there? So if you, if you want to get in a swim, the Wellmark YMCA downtown is phenomenal. That's where swim masters. So try to get in there if you can. I think they have day passes. Um, and then like the waterworks park area is great for running. Um, and then for biking, they have like a phenomenal trail system. So like, I don't know if you just Google bike paths of Des Moines, there's just like trails going every different way. And then they're protected from cars. And, you know, I, not that you can't ride on the open roads. Like I see people doing that a lot, like out in the country roads, it just, you know, it just makes me nervous. Um, cause there's not a ton of bike traffic out there. Right. So cars aren't as aren't as used to seeing people out on bikes. So, you know, if you ride on the open roads, just take a friend to be careful. Um, and the sad thing is because we moved in 2019 and Henry was so little, he was only six months old when we moved. And then, you know, eight months later or whatever we had, or a little less than a year later, we had the pandemic. And so I feel like I really haven't done that much exploring. And we live like west, just west of Des Moines in the suburb, suburb called Clive. Um, so we spend a lot of time in West Des Moines going to, or we did restaurants. So I'm just like, I had a friend say, well, where should I stay? What are the good neighborhoods? What are the bad neighborhoods? I'm like, I'll ask around and get back to you. <laughs> Sorry. Fair enough. Fair enough. So I'm pretty much worthless when it comes to that. Yeah. I've lived here for in Bozeman for a long time. And if someone asked me outside of like my walking radius where to go, I'm like, oh, I don't go there. If I can't walk there, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> but um, Jess, when I saw you at Indian Wells last December, you described yourself in terms of triathlon as a lifer, uh, someone who's going to be racing triathlon at any level for as long as possible. And that conversation, that term just really stuck with me. And so I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on longevity in the sport and and how you keep that passion going through all these changes that life has brought throughout your career. Yeah. You know, I feel like, and you know, I just turned 40 last October and you know, I I'm guessing, you know, I'm hoping for a couple more years in the pro field, but you know, we'll see how, we'll see how it goes. Um, but I know I won't be there forever. I mean, DD grease power is 50, right? So, <laughs> so the sky's the limit, you know, and she's still kicking ass. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I just don't see myself ever. I don't know. I see all these pros that say they're retiring and I wonder, well, will you come back and race as an age grouper? Cause isn't that what you do? Like, you're just going to stop racing triathlon. That doesn't make any sense, you know, cause it's not a sport, you know, it's not like, I don't know. You're not retiring from the NBA where like, once you retire, there's not really a place for you to go unless you're doing like playing like fun masters basketball or something. I don't, I don't even know what the retired basketball players that's how you, do. Right? That's but, how you hurt your Achilles or like your knee or something. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah, you know, and I think, and who knows, you know, I just, I was never, I've worked, you know, full time through this whole thing and never, you know, never had a fully open schedule. And now that I work from home and I actually am self-employed, I have two kids. So it's never been like where I've had this like really kind of traditional pro or at least top level pro I and mean, let's be honest right like most of the pro athletes don't just race right they they also have jobs but um you know I've never had that really open schedule and so part of me wonders you know I see some of the girls that I would race against that you know I was competitive with and then went on to winning Ironman and doing all these amazing things and you know I saw what they put into the sport and I mean they lived and breathed and 
did everything possible. I mean, like strength coaches and weekly massage and all of these things like that, you know, because once you get to the elite level, I mean, it's small percentage changes. Like I looked at our Indian Wells race, Haley, and it was like where I landed, I was ninth and it was 3.5% because I had to calculate to send in my in renewal yes. for my pro card, right? Now to prove that I got within 8% and I was 3, 3.5% from the winning time and I was ninth, right? And so you see like how small those increments are to being at the top of the level versus ninth or 10th. And it's like these little things that, you know, going into a wind tunnel and doing all the aero testing and, you know, all of this stuff that I just never really did along the way because it just didn't really fit into the life, didn't fit in the schedule, maybe didn't fit into the budget or whatever. And, you know, part of me wonders like if I had just really gone, I mean, I felt like I was going all in, but I didn't do some of those things that I saw my competitors doing. And who knows, maybe I wouldn't have gotten any faster if I had, you know, maybe I just found my limit doing what I did, right? And maybe I wouldn't have gotten faster and maybe I would have, but those are the people that I see then saying like, I'm retiring from sport and maybe they're, they're like going into running or, you know, getting more into cycling, but they're walking away from triathlon as a whole. And I just think I, because I didn't maybe go that all in that I just, like I'll have times where I'm like, okay, I'm tired. I need to st- step back or something. But then like two days later, I'm like, oh, I've got these goals. I'm so excited about it. And so I just, it doesn't, even if it leaves me for a day or even a week, it, it comes right back. And then I get excited about the next thing I want to work towards and want to achieve. And, and so I kind of assume like, you know, once I'm done racing pro, maybe I'll, yeah, maybe I'll like see how fast I can run for a little while, but I think I'll always want to come back to triathlon and, you know, race as an age grouper and, you know, go back to Kona and, and just, cause it's just, I love it. It's such a fun sport. It's motivating. Hopefully I can do it for <laughs> decades to come. We'll see. Um, but yeah. And then I, and I just love the community and, you know, you know how it is when you get into a sport like this, you meet so many people and you have so many friends that also do it. And so you guys are kind of the, like the best and worst, uh, you know, instigators and support system. And yeah, I had a friend that said that she's like, well, now that I've qualified for Kona, I don't, you know, maybe I'll stop doing triathlon after next year. And I was like, what? <laughs> I don't understand. I don't understand what you just said. What? I'm picturing what? you now as like 60 and 70 years old, like still sprinting yeah. across the line to like edge <laughs> yes. ladies out at the line. I'm like, this is going to be amazing. And I am here for it. I will be that lady who's like, just like on moseying on through and just be like, like. <laughs> oh my God, you guys, seriously though, I think after my last two races, so Des Moines and then Indian Wells, I think I'm actually now switched sides because Lisa, I don't know if it's Beckeris or Basharis. So, so sorry, Lisa, if I'm butchering your last name. Um, but we got in a shootout the last mile of Des Moines and then she ran away from me like the last half to a quarter of a mile and then all I wanted to do in Indian Wells was like, just keep looking at Haley's back and then see if you've got anything left. And we did that like last turnaround and it was just like, Doo! and I'm like, you know what? I should hire my services out. So like, if you want to have the best last mile of your race, I will be there for you. I probably <laughs> I did owe you something. You will, you will, <laughs> don't worry, I'll be dying. <laughs> I was that was uh I talked about that on the podcast afterwards because we turned around and I was like I didn't realize you were right there until we had that little turnaround I was like oh my goodness she's right there and I that was a day where I was like I am not in the mood for a sprint finish so I was the only thing I was like I'm pretty good at running uphill 
and there's a lot of uphill. So I'm like, let's see, let's see if I could just put some pressure on. But I, I think I said that on the thing. I like, I asked people on the side, I was like trying to listen, you know, you're listening for like, is it go late, go girl or go ladies. And I'm like trying to listen and like not look back. And I asked, I did finally, we made a turn. I asked someone, I was like, can you see her? And they're like, huh? And I'm like, oh my God. And then I got to the the core. You had quite the cheering crowd. You had like quite the crew. And when I got to the core crew and they were fairly subdued and they actually might have they actually might have said like go Haley and I was like yeah. okay don't think she's right behind me <laughs> and then I finally looked behind because I was like they would be going nuts if she was right behind me so that was the only but I, you got I mean I was I had to make a decision and be like I have I'm gonna go for this for a whole mile because I I I didn't know about your finish line antics but now I'm really glad I did because if I had waited and thought I could have out sprinted you the results would have been different. Oh my god, Lisa, well I think in in Des Moines Lisa might have beat me in the end by 15 seconds and not kidding we were shoulder to shoulder with probably 0.4 miles to go. I'm like, "How did she just put 15 seconds into me and I was running as hard as I possibly could?" But yeah, so I, you know, I'll just, I'll put that out there now. My services are available to help you to your best last mile possible. And so aside from that, um, you know, that you will be taking on for everyone. What about, you know, is there something specific that you're still looking to accomplish at the elite level before you kind of, you know, go for the lifer route? Like what's, what's on that, that list still? Yeah. You know, I still haven't, I haven't qualified for Kona as a pro. I actually haven't raced an Ironman since 2016. Um, and so when I raced, so like when I got third in Coeur d'Alene, that was back when it was still points. Um, and so I haven't raced an Ironman since they've had the slot allocation. Um, so it's been a long time. I was hoping to race Ironman Florida and I felt better for that race than I had for anything in a really long time. And then I got sick, (laughs) the joys of having two children in school. Um, And so that's why I ended up in Indian Wells instead of Florida. But um, you know, that's, I don't know if it can happen. You know, it's always one of those, you never know who's going to show up. It's, you know, but I'm, that's what I'm in my mind. I'm training for. That's what I'm working for is just to give myself the, the opportunity to see if I can qualify for Kona as a pro. And if it, if it happens, I'd be ecstatic. If it doesn't happen, you know, it doesn't happen, but that's, that's the motivating force right now. And Des Moines, Ironman Des Moines, is that the next, that's the next one on the docket? Yeah, that's the next one. And that's the uh, North American pro championship. So yes. And hometown race. Oh, it should be a big one. Jess, well, thank you so much for chatting with us today, for letting us stroll down memory lane, for letting us, you know, laugh about last miles of races. And we'll be sure to link to your Instagram and your coaching site. Since uh, we know that the blog isn't up anymore, but there's still plenty of places to find you. Yes, but that's a fatal error. (laughs) That's okay. I'll just keep that for myself. But thank you so much. Thank you guys so much for having me. It was so great chatting with both of you. Always fun to catch up with Jess. She is one of my favorite competitors. And Alyssa, I know that during this conversation, we talked a lot about Des Moines because she lives there and she um, was planning to race Ironman Des Moines as her first Ironman this year. But since then, I think her training has been going really well. I saw on social media that she's going to be lining up for Ironman Texas in a couple weeks. So definitely everyone who's in Texas, cheer for Jess or track her and um, I'm excited to see how she does at this, the full Ironman distance, you know, getting back out there because... Um, It sounds like things are going really well. Definitely, definitely. Thanks, Jess, for coming on. 
Reminder to everyone, if you're listening on March 31st, one last day to order from That's It Fruit.com with the code IRONWOMEN for 20% off your first order. Haley, enjoy continuing to recover from your champion winning 70.3 event <laughs> a couple weeks ago. Enjoy uh, sunny California a little bit. Hopefully it's a nice little break again into the sunshine with Team SFQ. Can't wait to hear all about that next week. And we'll talk to you later. Bye, Alyssa. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Feisty Media and is edited and produced by Lindsay Glassford. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, events, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thanks for listening. Alyssa, AminoCo has been a longtime podcast sponsor, and every time I'm listening to the show and I hear our AminoCo ad, I'm always shocked to hear how AminoCo co-founder Dr. Robert Wolf has run a marathon in under two hours and 30 minutes, 62 times. I just can't believe that's a real stat. Me either. It is very impressive, and it gives me a lot of confidence Dr. Wolf knows what he's talking about when it comes to performance and recovery. I actually took AminoCo Heal before and after my recent knee surgery. I've been using Heal a lot after really big workouts as I've started to ramp up my training. And I also use my personal favorite, AminoCo Perform, before and during my hardest sessions. Do you have a favorite flavor? For Perform, I definitely go with the Strawberry Lemonade. It has a really light flavor and a little bit of caffeine that I think helps keep me focused during my really tough intervals. And for heel, I like vanilla. I just feel like vanilla gets me into recovery mode. What about you? The vanilla heel is my favorite too. I find it mixes really well into my post-workout shakes that I make. Wait, what do you put in your shakes? Well, oftentimes just whatever I have in the fridge, sometimes vegetables, sometimes collagen, you know, whatever I have. Summer shakes are way more interesting because it's like I make them cold. But the winter shakes are a little less fancy. Do you ever add snow to your winter shakes? <laughs> I mean, I'm going to start doing that now. <laughs> I don't know, make sure it's clean snow. I am not quite as fancy. I just add water. It, I think it still works pretty well. But uh, however you like your Amino Co, you can rest assured that in clinical trials, muscle protein synthesis from exercise more than doubled by athletes using Perform and Heal was shown to trigger muscle growth and repair better than other high quality protein sources. Head to AminoCo.com slash IronWomen to see very large photos of me and Haley using AminoCo products. Then select your favorite products and use code IRONWOMEN for 30% off at checkout. First-time purchases also come with a free gift. That's AminoCo.com forward slash IronWomen and code IRONWOMEN for 30% off. Chasing Epic is the essence of the Orca brand. It is about seeking the moments in life that make us feel truly alive and connected with the beauty of the world around us. And let's be real, Chasing Epic is feisty. Orca has been a longtime partner of Feisty and we work with them year after year because we love their products and their commitment to creating amazing wetsuits made for women. 
They also supported me on Team USA last year at the One Water Race, which was most definitely also chasing Epic. With Orca's range of triathlon wetsuits, including Apex and Athlex, you can choose between flexibility, buoyancy, or a combination of both. There's a wetsuit for every triathlete and for all of your epic adventures. And as a feisty listener, you can get 15% off with the code IRONWOMEN15 at orca.com. All right, Alyssa, I'm like starting to swim more again. And I feel like you were swimming a lot last year with oh, with one water. And how did you keep your hair from getting so destroyed? I was swimming so much last year. And I used try hard, Kelly, and I still swear by it. They have extensively researched this problem and created a superior vegan, dermatologically tested proprietary blend. Try hard has shampoo, conditioner, body wash, and more stuff. Everything you're going to need for your pre and post swim necessities. I've also seen that top pros like Chelsea Sodaro and Lucy Charles Barkley also praise the effectiveness of try hard. I think it's like definitely changed how good I feel just coming out of chlorine. And we have a code right now too, for anyone who wants to try, you know, try, try hard and stop suffering from dry, itchy skin, having their hair get all, you know, green, which happens to me because mine's like super blonde and get all beat up. You can try any of the try hard products with the code 20 feisty. That's two zero feisty for 20% off store-wide at tryhard.co. So that's 20 feisty for 20% off at tryhard.co. 